Welcome to Music History Monday for August 15th, 2022. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Woodstock, a triumph of locational branding. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the opening of the so-called Woodstock Festival on August 15, 1969, 53 years ago today, so-called for the following reasons. Woodstock. Even without considering the original festival that bears its name, Woodstock, as a place name, has a homey, countryside-like quality to it. And a beautiful, quaint town it is, with a population in 1970 of 5,714 people, and it's just about the same today. 88 miles north of New York City, within the borders of the Catskill Mountains Park, Woodstock has been a hub for musicians, writers, artists, and actors going back to the 1940s. Even a short list of just the musicians associated with Woodstock should make our saliva run down our chins. That short list includes the band, the members of which shared a house, and two of whom, Rick Danko and LaVon Helm, are buried in Woodstock Cemetery, Carla Blay, David Bowie, Jimmy Cobb, Henry Cowell, Jack Dijonette, Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, Pat Metheny, Charlie Mingus, Thelonious Monk, Van Morrison, Pauline Oliveros, Graham Parker, Bonnie Raitt, Sonny Rollins, Todd Rundgren, David Sanborn, Carlos Santana, and Peter Schickley, PDQ Bach, his very self. The festival was created by an operation called Woodstock Ventures, which was run by three producers, Michael Lang, Artie Kornfeld, and Joel Rosenman, and one money man, John Roberts, who bankrolled the operation. The original plan was to hold the festival in Woodstock, New York, where it would bask in the reflected glory of the town's storied artistic reputation. But the locals nixed the idea almost immediately. They had zero interest in hosting what was then projected to be 50,000 assorted rock and rollers slash hippies slash druggies in what was their backyard. Organizers Joel Rosenman and John Roberts then came up with a 300-acre site at Mills Industrial Park in the town of Wallkill, New York, some 40 miles south of Woodstock. Woodstock Ventures leased the site for $10,000, roughly $80,000 today, in the spring of 1969. But the Wallkill Town Council was no happier about hosting the festival than had been the good people of Woodstock, and it created a Byzantine permitting process that made the festival an impossibility. As the projected date of the festival approached and a venue had yet to be secured, we would imagine that a lot of hair was ripped and clothing rent from the heads and bodies of Mr. Lang, Kornfeld, Rosenman, and Roberts.
It was Michael Lang who found a gently sloping alfalfa field in Bethel, New York. The 600-acre field was on a dairy farm owned by one Max Yasger, 1919-1973. Assured that only 50,000 people would attend the festival, the town of Bethel issued the necessary permits. Yasger's neighbors there in Bethel were furious with him for leasing his land to the festival, but he stood by his guns. For our information, the site of the festival in Bethel, New York, is nowhere near Woodstock. It is some 60 miles as the bird flies southwest of Woodstock, a 73-mile, 1-hour and 37-minute drive via State Route 55 and US 209. By all rights, the thing should have been called the Bethel Festival. But there was no cachet in Bethel, New York, so the legend persists that the Woodstock Festival took place in Woodstock, New York. Perhaps Joni Mitchell should change the words of her song by the time we got to Bethel, we were half a million strong. A phenomenal generational event. The original 1969 Woodstock Festival has been enshrined as a generational and national myth from almost the moment it took place. Here are a few of the particulars. Again, as we've already observed, it was held on a 600-acre field in Bethel, New York, owned by a dairy farmer named Max Yasger, roughly 100 miles northwest of New York City. 50,000 people were expected to attend. Instead, depending upon the source, it was attended by between 400,000 and 500,000 people. We will split the difference and call it 450,000. So many people showed up that early on, the organizers threw up their hands, opened the gates, and let everyone in for free. Let's let that number of attendees sink in for a moment. 450,000. New York City's Madison Square Garden has a capacity of 20,789. The Woodstock Festival was attended by 22 times that number of people. In terms of capacity, the largest baseball-only stadium in the world is Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. It holds 56,000 fans. For our information, the world's largest indoor arena, the Philippine Arena in Bulacan, Philippines, has a capacity of 55,000 people. The Woodstock Festival was attended by over eight times the capacity of Dodger Stadium. The attendance at the Woodstock Festival was roughly equivalent to the total populations of the following American cities. Miami, Florida, Omaha, Nebraska, Long Beach, California, Oakland, California, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. The number of attendees at the Woodstock Festival approached the total populations of the states of Wyoming and Vermont. The number of attendees at the Woodstock Festival was equivalent to the entire population of Brunei and Belize. 
and considerably larger than that of Iceland, which boasts a population of 345,393. An Aquarian Exposition, Three Days of Peace and Music. The organizers of what was originally billed as an Aquarian Exposition, Three Days of Peace and Music, expected that audience of roughly 50,000 people. So imagine their surprise when 10 times that number showed up at Max Yasker's farm. It remains nothing short of a logistical miracle that while food and water were scarce and sanitary facilities minimal, the festival organizers and the residents of Bethel, New York were still more or less able to feed, hydrate, and dispose of the bodily wastes of nearly half a million people during what was a hot, humid, and rainy weekend in August. The organizers also set up a children's playground and a drug tent to assist concert goers who were, quote, freaking out on drugs, unquote. Though billed as a three-day festival, running from August 15th to the 17th, Woodstock, in fact, lasted for more than three days. Because of delays, the final act, Jimi Hendrix, didn't take the stage until the morning of August 18th. Between Woodstock's opening act, Richie Havens, and the closer, Jimi Hendrix, festival goers heard a total of 32 acts, including Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Carlos Santana, The Who, Credence Clearwater Revival, The Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, The Band, Canned Heat, Joan Baez, Melanie, 10 Years After, Sly and the Family Stone, Johnny Winter, Jefferson Airplane, Ravi Shankar, Country Joe and the Fish, Blood, Sweat and Tears, Arlo Guthrie, and Joe Cocker. No doubt, the festival had its hitches. There were three accidental deaths, including that of 17-year-old Raymond Meshach, who set up his sleeping bag on a garbage-strewn hill and was run over by a tractor hauling a tank filled with raw sewage emptied from the porta-potties. Killed by a shit wagon. What a way to go. Just yuck. Given the rain and the lack of proper grounding for all the electrical equipment, it is a marvel that there weren't a host of electrocutions. For our info, there were claims that two births occurred during the festival, though an investigation by the Associated Press was not able to substantiate even a single birth. No official records for these births exist. However, what can be stated for the record was that the festival was, indeed, as harmonious and mellow as legend would describe. According to attendee Bonnie Geffen, quote, I didn't even witness a harsh word or a raised voice, unquote. Another attendee, Howard Loberfeld, remembered, quote, I was raised not to trust people and to be wary of strangers. And here were 500,000 of them who were being so nice and so happy and just listening to the music and sitting in the mud. It really gave me a different perspective of humanity." Unquote. On the third day of the festival, just before Joe Cocker's set in the early afternoon, 
Woodstock's host, the dairy farmer, Max Yasger, spoke to the crowd. This is what he said, quote, I'm a farmer. I don't know how to speak to 20 people at a time, let alone a crowd like this. But I think you people have proven something to the world, not only to the town of Bethel or Sullivan County or New York State. You've proven something to the world. This is the largest group of people ever assembled in one place. We had no idea that there would be this size group. And because of that, you've had quite a few inconveniences as far as water, food, and so forth. Your producers have done a mammoth job to see that you're taken care of. They'd enjoy a vote of thanks. But above that, the important thing that you've proven to the world is that a half a million kids, and I call you kids because I have children that are older than you are, a half million young people can get together and have three days of fun and music and have nothing but fun and music, and God bless you for it." The cheer Max Yasger received was as long as it was loud. December 6th, 1969. Ah, Woodstock, peace and love, man, power to the flowers. The concert that presumably brought the whole peace and love trip down occurred just three and a half months later on the other side of the country at the Altamont Speedway in the San Francisco Bay Area. It was the topic of my Music History Monday post on December 6, 2021. Over 300,000 people attended the Altamont concert. Four of them died that day one by stabbing at the hands of the erstwhile security personnel, members of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club. Two died in a hit-and-run car accident, and one when a concertgoer zonked out of his gourd on LSD, drowned in an irrigation canal. But scores more people were injured in the fights and rioting that broke out, some of them quite seriously. The word Altamont has since become synonymous with rock concert disasters. The one-day concert was intended to be Woodstock West. Certainly, the featured bands were top-notch. In order of appearance, they were San Francisco's own Carlos Santana and Jefferson Airplane, the Flying Burrito Brothers, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and the Rolling Stones. San Francisco's The Grateful Dead were supposed to perform in between Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and the Rolling Stones, but the day's increasing violence convinced them wisely, as it turned out, to cancel their set, get back on their bus, and go home. Writing in Esquire magazine a year later, in August 1970, the music critic and writer Ralph J. Gleason, 1917-1975, stated that, quote, The day the Rolling Stones played there, the name Altamont became etched in the minds of millions of people who love pop music and who hate it as well. If the name Woodstock has come to denote the flowering of one phase of the youth culture, Altamont has come to mean the end of it, unquote. Now look, I'm a fan of Ralph Gleason's writing and criticism, but in the paragraph I just read, 
he indulges in an outlandish bit of literary hyperbole. Woodstock didn't represent any particular flowering of the youth culture any more than Altamont represented the end of it. They were, in fact, contemporary events. Woodstock could very well have been a disaster, and if the Rolling Stones hadn't been so stupid as to hire Hell's Angels to do security at Altamont, the concert might have come off with nary a glitch. With all due respect to Ralph Gleason, the message regarding Woodstock versus Altamont is not one of flowering versus unflowering. Rather, they represent the two sides of the same metaphorical coin. 1969 was, in many ways, the best of times and the worst of times. That's because the utopian ideals of the student movement, the women's movement, the civil rights movement, and the environmental movement coexisted with the hard realities of the day. The ongoing catastrophe in Vietnam, Richard Nixon's presidency, terrible racial unrest, the recent assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy, and with it all, a fracturing of the American nation. As Charles Dickens wrote in A Tale of Two Cities, quote, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair." Unquote. Dickens was referring to the nation of France in 1775, 14 years prior to the beginning of the French Revolution. But he could just as well have been referring to the year 1969 in the United States, although he could not be referring to 2022 because, sadly, no one with one quarter of a noggin would refer to these times as being the best, an age of wisdom, the season of light, the spring of hope. The original Woodstock Festival spawned a rock concert industry that thrives to this day. But as an event, it can never be equaled because it was unique to its time. Writes Valeria Ramos, quote, young Americans across the country were responding to the unequal war-torn state of their country by uniting in song, unquote. Because of Woodstock's size, because of its music, because it was an utterly peaceful affair, the festival has come, for right or wrong, to symbolize the best of the counterculture and the utopian ideals it espoused. Was the festival the fairy tale fantasy it is often made out to be? Of course not. But we'd observe that there were zero reports of fighting or violence of any kind. There were no gunshots and no stabbings. There were no rapes or sexual assaults. There were no muggings or robberies. In a crowd of some 450,000 drug-sucking hippies, there was only one fatal overdose. The most common injuries at the festival were cut feet from walking around barefoot. Altogether, 836 foot lacerations were treated at the medical tent. All in all, 
it sounds like a pretty incredible event to me. Would that one like it could take place today. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.